You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open our Bibles together this morning. We turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll first read the verses 1 to 12 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. The Lord willing, I hope to pick up the thread on the series on Revelation. We had come to Revelation chapter 8, but for this morning we'll turn our attention to the second part of 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 13 to 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, many of you were glued to your television sets this past week as you watched the amazing rescue of those 33 miners in Chile. And what a drama it turned out to be. Television crews and reporters from all over the world were present and covering the event And commentators by the hundreds gave us their analysis and guesses as to whether or not the rescue would succeed, whether the capsule called Phoenix would work, or also about how scarred these miners might be 
or not be for the rest of their lives. You may remember that their mind had collapsed back on August the 5th. And ever since, they had been trapped more than 2,000 feet below the surface. And indeed, for the first 17 days, no one on the surface knew if anyone had survived the collapse. And as for those trapped men, they didn't know whether or not anyone was still looking for them or whether perhaps the rescue effort had been called off. But then a breakthrough was made, a drill punctured into their living space, water, food, and letters were sent down, a camera link was established with them. But then after that, other challenges arose. How in the world are you going to get these men out? Well, it was decided to drill, as you know, another hole, a wider one, through which hopefully a man would be able to pass, but would it work? No one knew. It had never been tried before. How long would it take? The projections were it would take at least until November, if not until December. But in any case, the drilling began and the men waited. Can you imagine what it must have been like down there? For 17 long days, you're trapped and you do not know whether you will live or die. And then for the next 52 days, you are constantly being told you are going to be rescued, but no one can tell you when and no one can guarantee you it will even work. In such situations, what is it that keeps people going? How do you live through such days in such a place for so long and keep your sanity? There's only one answer to those questions, and that is hope. You need hope. You need it desperately during those first 17 days, and you need it just as desperately Through the next 52 days, if you do not have hope, you will not survive. But thankfully, as we know, these men had hope. Many of them had hope in God, and they openly confessed this. Many of them prayed. Many of them had hope in one another. They had hope in their rescuers. It was hope that kept them going, and it was hope that kept them Sane. You see, beloved, hope is the most precious thing. And who should know that better than us? After all, we are Christians, and what sets Christians apart? Is it not hope? Is it not the hope of the gospel? Is it not the hope of eternal life? Yes, beloved, we have hope. And just like those miners, that's what keeps us going. When sickness threatens us, when death comes calling, when sorrow strikes, when troubles rear their heads, we can go on. Because we have, I dare say, the best hope of all hopes. Yes, and the Apostle Paul, I might also remind you, is one who tells us about this time and time again in his letters. 
And he does so especially in this second half of his fourth chapter in his first letter to the church at Thessalonica. And so I preached to you this morning on the following theme, hope it's what keeps us going. And we're going to see, first of all, hope denied, secondly, hope supplied, and finally, it applied. Well, beloved, hope is a great thing, but it's only great if you can see it, if you can grasp it, as it were. And that was a problem in the church at Thessalonica. They had managed somehow to blur their hope. They had lost sight of it altogether, at least in the case of some. Now, how had that happened? How had they slipped so far? Well, people who either had not listened very well before or who just didn't know the truth were spreading false teachings around. They were insisting that in order for a person to experience the full benefits of being a Christian, he or she would have to be alive when Jesus Christ came back. In short, you need to be around physically if you're going to benefit spiritually and fully from the return of Jesus Christ. But of course that created a problem. It led people to ask, what about all those people who have died in the Lord? What about my deceased believing father or mother or grandfather or grandmother or uncle or aunt? What about that friend of mine? What about all those people who have died before the Lord Jesus Christ has even come back? And the answer? Too bad, these teachers said. They've missed the boat. They died too soon. Now that particular answer caused more than just a little bit of consternation or upset. Many of the believers in Thessalonica were beside themselves. They wailed and lamented. They were in deep distress. And eventually the Apostle Paul got to hear about it. Yes, and when he hears about it, he is not pleased. For he writes to them and he says, Brothers, and by the way, that includes the sisters too, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. The key word here is ignorant. Ignorant means, of course, without knowledge, without understanding, without thought. You can say he, he doesn't want them to be a bunch of dummies. He's not writing a dummy's guide for anything or anyone. Now, when it comes to death, he doesn't want them to be dull-minded. And something else. He doesn't want them to grieve like other people. Literally, he says he doesn't want them to grieve like a bunch of unbelievers. Why not? Because unbelievers fundamentally have no hope. They're without hope. You might say they're lacking one of life's most essential qualities. 
They're devoid of that which enables us to keep going when everything starts crashing down around us. They don't know how to persevere or how to prevail. And that's a terrible, terrible state to be in, and yet many, many people are in it. Some people pretend to have it And when you ask them, they come across as if they have not a worry in the world. Others will tell you boldly that they have not a worry because they've lived such a good life that God, any God, should be pleased with them and should accept them. And then there are those who simply answer you by ignoring you and staring you straight in the face or straight ahead. I've asked sometimes people in the hospital, what's your hope? And some of them just looked at me and said, absolutely nothing. Because they had nothing. What a sadness. What a melancholy, what a hollow feeling in your heart. Is there a worse fate than to grieve over the death of a loved one, or to consider your own death that's surely coming, and to have utterly no hope. But beloved, thanks be to God, that's not you. It's not you if you believe. It's not you if you have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is adamant about that. Look at verse 14 and 15 where he, he says, we believe that Jesus died, rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen Asleep. You see here the Apostle Paul makes crystal clear to the believers in Thessalonica and elsewhere that they do not need to worry about their believing loved ones who have died already. They will not miss out on the return of Jesus Christ. They have not been forgotten and dismissed No, the return of the great king will not pass them by. Paul says the Christian hope is is alive. And well, we believe. He says twice. And what does he and the church believe? Well, look at very basic truths. The first, Jesus died and rose again. That's first. Our Savior died so that our sins could be paid for and wiped away. And then He rose again from the dead. He didn't remain in the grave. The powers of death and hell could not hold Him or overwhelm Him. No, He scored the most unimaginable victory. And then the second thing Paul says is Jesus did not rise alone from the dead. 
This was not a single, solitary, isolated resurrection. No, Jesus arose to secure the life of all of those who believe in him. There's an ongoing fellowship and connection with him. And the third truth, Paul says, is that one day Christ will return on the clouds of heaven. He not only arose, he's coming back. And the fourth truth, Paul says, is the living will not precede the dead. If you think that because you're alive, you get to go to the head of the line, because you're going to be a believer living on the earth when Christ returns, you have it all wrong. The living have no advantages over the dead. And to support that, beloved, the Apostle Paul even uses a rather unique and strong expression. He says, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you. So according to Jesus' own word, this is so. Where did Jesus say this? We don't totally know. Maybe between that time of his resurrection and ascension. Maybe then he, he told his disciples all about this. Maybe he even told the Apostle Paul directly about this. Whatever the case may have been, the matter is clear. The living will not go before the dead. Nobody alive or I should say, nobody dead takes a back seat to anybody alive. And now that, beloved, should put those upset Thessalonians to rest. And by the way, that should put us to rest as well. If you have any thoughts about the fact that believing loved ones are missing out or, or lacking anything or somehow are going to get shortchanged in the present or in the future, banish it from your mind. It's not going to happen. Christ himself says so. And, you know, just to make sure that you get this right, Paul elaborates. Through the Spirit, he reveals more. Look, for example, at the verses 16 and 17. And what do you see in those two verses? You see all manner of hope, hope in abundance, hope overflowing. And you can also see it's a hope that is wrapped in four great future events or developments. First event is Christ is coming down. Verse 16a, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. Jesus is not going to remain in heaven forever. Paul says he's coming back. He's coming down. 
Notice Paul says it's going to be a personal coming. The Lord himself, not some assistant, not some gopher or representative. No, it'll be the Lord himself. And notice there's going to be a triumphant coming down because he's coming from heaven. Once before he came from heaven, 2,000 years ago, but then he came as a baby. Wrapped in helplessness and dependency. But now when he comes again, he's going to come as the glorious king of heaven and earth. And in the company of his mighty angels. And notice when that happens, it's going to be noisy. There'll be a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. Everyone will hear him. And then everyone will see him. First time he came, it was kind of quiet, right? Bethlehem, rather undisturbed, except, of course, what happened in those fields of Ephrathah where the angels sang, but... That music didn't seem to travel very far. It certainly didn't travel into Bethlehem itself or even into Jerusalem. But you know, the next time, everybody's going to hear it. And they'll notice it. It's going to be public, it's going to be spectacular, and it's going to be loud. So you see, what we have here, first of all, Paul says, is a personal, triumphant, noisy coming down of the Lord of heaven and earth. But Paul also adds it's going to be at the same time a coming with Christ. In verse 16b, we're told, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice that. And to that you need to add what you find in verse 14. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. You say here the Apostle Paul is reminding the Thessalonians and us once again, in case you didn't get it the first time or the second time, the dead will not miss out. They'll not miss anything. And as a matter of fact, there is a sense in which Paul says they're even more privileged than those who are still alive because the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Their resurrection precedes their coming. Yes, they'll rise. And how they will rise. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says that when they arise, they're going to arise with new bodies. The Word of God says the future of the children of God is not a future of disembodied existence. Unlike the Philadelphia cream commercial, you're not going to be floating around on the clouds somewhere eating cottage cheese. No, we believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe that we shall receive glorified bodies, bodies free of sin, Sickness, sadness of destruction, of death and disease. The dead in Christ will rise. Yes, and then they 
will return with Christ. He will escort them back down to this earth. Christ will come with his resurrected people. Those who have died with him will rise with him, will return with him, will reign with him. You see, there's coming down. But at the same time, there's a coming with. And then certainly, uh, beloved, the, the, the Scriptures also teach us there is a coming for. Verse 17a says, After that we who are still alive and are left. So the leftovers, so to speak, will be caught up. Now you may know there is a lot of speculation about all of this, especially if you've read those books or seen those videos about being left behind. Speak a lot about a a secret rapture, although it confuses me as to how it could be secretive when you have all this noise from commands and calls and trumpets and so forth. But let's not get lost in all kinds of rapture speculation. Let's just listen to what Scripture says. When Christ comes, He will come and not only raise the dead, He will not only come with those who have been raised, but He will also come for those who are still living on the earth. And they'll be caught up without any warning. Preparation or notice. Christ will seize them and take hold of them. He'll take hold of them and it says in our text and bring them in the clouds. That means into the very presence of God himself. They'll meet the Lord in the clouds and in the air. And so you see once again there's no need to worry. No true believer is going to get left behind or forgotten on that great day. God's going to assemble all of his people from the grave, from the earth, on the earth. Because God is coming down in Jesus Christ. Coming down with his saints and for all those saints who are still living. And then one more thing, beloved, than that is a coming to, a coming together for us all to be brought to himself. Verse 17b says, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. At last, we're all going to arrive at our destination. Finally, we're all going to be home. For home is where the Lord is. And where all of His people will be as well. At last, the glorified Lord is going to be with His glorified people. And at last, we shall live in fellowship with the Lord, our Savior, and with each other as new people on a new creation. 
and all the sadness and the sorrow will fly away. And we are going to experience the ultimate, the everlasting reunion party. And it will never end. Now that, beloved, that's hope. That's hope beyond measure. That's hope beyond expectation, beyond imagination, beyond prediction. But that's the hope of the gospel. It's not sickness, death, and dust, and that's the end of it. No, it's life and glory and peace and fellowship. Joy forever. And that's what keeps us going. That's what kept a lot of those miners going. And that is also what Paul writes finally is what we need to apply to our lives every day. He says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. In other words, he's really saying, I want you people in Thessalonica, and I want all of you who are reading this letter to do something with it. I want you to turn it into a constant source of encouragement. These words of mine, given through the power of the Holy Spirit, should become instruments of positive encouragement in your life. And I hope, beloved, we're hearing that. And I hope we'll also go out of our way to put it into practice. Sometimes when believers come together in situations of sickness and sadness, they don't know what to say to each other. There's often a lot of silence. In a sense, that that's understandable. But there's also often a lot of talk that kind of skirts around the real issue. Well, here we're reminded that when we, we come together as believers in difficult times, there is really no reason for us to be at a loss for words. We've received all kinds of words in the Scriptures as well as here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Words of power and of hope and of perspective and of the future. So let's, let's use them. Let's use them with respect to one another. When you see someone who's down in the dumps, don't just ignore them or Bypass them. Lift them up. Use the power of the word to instill hope into their lives. Some time ago I said, I, I like the name Barnabas. I have to admit, though, I never called any of my kids Barnabas, but be that as it may, I think I still like the name Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. Isn't that beautiful? Son of encouragement. 
I think we all need to be a congregation of Barneys, right? Sons and daughters of encouragement. Looking out for one another, helping one another, lifting up one another, empowering one another with the word of the gospel and and all of these words of hope and of promise that the Lord has entrusted to us. So Paul says, take it to heart, comfort and encourage one another with these words. And in that way, you'll be getting ready and preparing for the biggest and the grandest and the most glorious coming that this world has ever seen or or will see. And the Lord Jesus Christ returns with his saints, for his saints, to the glory of of his holy name. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.